Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at boschsecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is the latest in our weekly update series from the LPRC and um, I'm joined by Tony Nofrio and by Tom Meehan and our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And we're going to kind of go around the world and, and discuss any updates that are relevant uh, to the LPRC membership and uh, the retail industry and others at large. Um, talk a little bit about uh, the global pandemic that just doesn't seem to want to go away. Um, a, quite a few reports, increasing reports of uh, first responder deaths from COVID-19 disease um, in the case of law enforcement officers surpassing even deaths by uh, vehicle accidents, um, as well as on-the-job violence from shooting or knifing or other, or other health effects. So um, uh, just kind of a tragic outcome there. Um, and, and other news, you know, was reported in, over in Guam that they have set up a way to um, continue to get some tourism and they're calling it air VNV, in other words, uh, vaccination and vacation. Um, and so the idea is again, particularly with the Pfizer or Moderna um, vaccines that uh, people can come into Guam, they get their first uh, vaccine dose, they continue their uh, vacation and uh, somewhat quarantined, but yet a beautiful environment evidently. Um, and then when it's time for the next dose, they get that. Um, they're there for another day or so and head back. So, you know, if there's a way that people are going to find it. So Airbnb, I uh, thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, the masking front, we've talked a lot about cutting viral particle emission. Um, the particles are what infect us, others. Um, it's how the virus moves. And um, a new massive, um, very massive randomized controlled trial showing that surgical masks, um, not necessarily N95 respirator masks for uh, and not cloth masks do uh, provide a pretty profound or significant reduction in viral particle emission and infection of those around. So just further evidence, um, the cloth mask seems to be pretty mixed to low um, as far as the protection. And then the, again, the N95 is sort of the gold standard um, in that way. Um, so masking is still an issue. Uh, there's a lot of research around children and masking. Uh, that continues to emerge, the good, the bad, the not so good um, about, about that, particularly with those under the age of three, um, that while it can provide protection if it's a for real mask, but a little bit of cloth probably doesn't. And um, what are the health benefits versus um, the trauma that the child, child is experiencing as well as those around them as the child fusses on aircraft and other public areas. So um, I know that uh, I'm reading a lot about airlines looking at how they adjust their masking policy and how they handle uh, travelers that have very small children um, in that way so that everybody's accommodated. 
Um, you know, seems to be some controversy in all different sources I'm reading um, around the um, Biden administration plan for uh, boosters that there, while there's evidence and we see Israel and other places uh, gearing up and in fact, uh, a wide scale booster vac uh, vaccine boosters being given um, that uh, top FDA and CDC officials um, are not so sure because they want to move with the science. Um, and in fact, uh, evidently, uh, two or maybe even more top FDA officials that are experts in the vaccine epidemi epidemiological area have tendered their resignation, saying that the, the administration is uh, way ahead of the science. So we'll have to see. Um, I'm personally aware of a handful of people now that have gotten a third Pfizer dose. Um, and so it's evidently happening. I didn't really even realize it was official in the United States yet but it evidently is in some areas. So in the state of Florida, uh, there are people that are administering the third dose. Um, we see that the um, <clears throat> interesting, uh, I guess, antiviral uh, therapies underway, a lot of testing, in one case, Brazilian viper venom, um, and that showing it reduces replication, uh, viral replication by 75%. Um, now we're looking at mice models, not humans. Um, so it's not reached human clinical trial level, but uh, there are numerous, numerous um, different antivirals um, and monoclonal antibodies and others that are showing good evidence. Um, not really weighing in on the ivermectin. You know, we've discussed it before. Um, it's very unclear um, beyond one. A particularly rigorous trial, exactly uh, what the effects might be um, as far as from a positive standpoint. And again, our family has been in the cattle business for generations, and we do use that as well as other um, anti-parasitics uh, for what we call worming uh, the cattle, the beef cattle. But um, so stay tuned on that as more comes out. Uh, the variants, we've now hearing a lot about the Mu variant, um, and that this may have ar arisen or first discovered, um, sequenced in the South American area. Uh, now, as almost every state is now reporting it, even though still the Delta variant seems to account for 90 to 99% of sequenced um, viral particles that are out there from uh, the infected people are, uh, that are being treated where they are able to sequence. So that seems to be very dominant. The Mu variant, early indications are it could be even a little more skilled at, um, at uh, avoiding some of the uh, mechanisms that vaccines of all types can create. Uh, normal, this is normal, but uh, we got to stay tuned and hope and pray that uh, we're not getting more, uh, more aggressive, which to me looks like it's a very aggressive as far as transmissibility in the way that the Delta variant is, um, but hopefully it's not better at breakthrough. Um, on the vaccination front now, amazing, uh, 2.2 billion humans and growing daily, uh, hourly, have now been completely and fully vaccinated, uh, according to one or two dose uh, regimens. Almost all are two dose, other uh, than J and J. Um, the in the United States now, uh, just over 178 million um, people have been fully vaccinated, which is uh, now just surpassed 75% of adult Americans have been fully vaccinated. Um, and then overall, though, 208, almost 210 million uh, Americans have been at least partially vaccinated at this point. So vaccinations do continue. Um, and I can see around here in Gainesville, uh, a lot of the students and others getting vaccinated that had not 
uh, priorly had not considered it before. Um, now a lot a lot of it's because the Pfizer uh, vaccine, as we know, the BioNTech has been fully FDA approved after reviewing all the um, phase one, two, and three data, um, the follow-up data, and then looking at the different advisory outside uh, advisory panels, the FDA and CDC. Um, so it looks like Moderna's shortly thereafter. Um, looking at, uh, there are now 102 other uh, vaccine candidates in human clinical trials. Additionally, 75 incremental um, anti-COVID-19 vaccines in preclinical. So 177 known vaccine candidates being trialed out there. I think the Novavax one is the one that we've all been talking and thinking about. It's now been approved uh, elsewhere overseas. Um, looks like in the next 60 days, 90 days, that that's very possible. It's a different uh, mechanism of action than the mRNA uh, or the J and J vaccine. Um, and so we then, if that if that does become the case, we'd have three different um, types of modes and mechanisms of action for the um, anti-COVID-19 vaccines. So uh, fairly exciting there. Phase one, there are 53 candidates. Phase two human trials, 45 different vaccines. And in phase three trials now, 33. Uh, we know that there are additionally worldwide 13 um, that have emergency use authorization. And then there are now eight fully approved uh, COVID-19 vaccines out there. Um, we uh, some new research showing that, you know, we talked a lot about infection reduction. Um, and then additionally, of course, disease uh, severity reduction are the two goals that the, the current vaccines were designed to reduce disease severity, the replication and the effects that uh, based on our immune response or lack thereof, uh, or at least the, the, uh, the replication speed and the seriousness of the symptoms that we experience all the way up to fatalities. Um, so again, further showing though with the additional Pfizer booster um, that does look like it not only increases um, the in vaccine individuals um, uh, vulnerability to very severe disease and hospitalization, particularly ICU uh, or worse, uh, but also is looking like it's reducing infection risk as well. Um, again, Pfizer's got some therapies, two different oral therapies that are uh, in clinical trials. Um, another set of research that I looked at were the idea that there are medical exemptions from being vaccinated. And the, these sources, particularly one reported by NBC News, is um, indicating that a lot of the research is showing that there's actually um, nobody that they can find, according to all the research and experts that they queried, that could find a legitimate medical exemption reason for not being vaccinated other than um, known to be allergic to that particular vaccine. Um, and so I thought that was particularly interesting because we hear about some people with different immunocompromised uh, situations and all, so on. So stay tuned if there's more definition, you know, we'll bring it up on this podcast. But uh, the idea that, the, that there's real no medical, there's really no uh, known medical reason not to be vaccinated was particularly interesting. Um, we've also got um, looking at um, some of the other vaccinations uh, or research on vaccinations. Vaxxers still have a lower um, susceptibility than non-vax to serious disease. So there's a whole bunch more randomized controlled trials uh, that are starting to emerge as well as other secondary data analyses. 
Um, we're looking at immunity, um, natural versus vaccinated. We've heard that there is growing research evidence that indicates that it might be that natural infection, those that recover uh, may have as much or in a lot of cases, even more um, immunity to serious disease than those that are vaccinated, um, which would not be unusual. It just depends from what I've been reading on the virus um, or the pathogen itself. Um, and so it's interesting to see though, I know of one person that had natural disease, got fully vaccinated and then got the COVID-19 again, um, but it was not very severe, um, very mild cold-like symptoms. So, you know, this is a crazy, crazy virus and um, it just seems pretty resistant to whatever, but uh, overall seems to be good. Uh, news out of Israel that they are now working on a fourth dose as they race to provide third doses to their population, starting with 60 and over and now 50 and over and continues. Um, but the fourth dose they're looking at, uh, evidently engineering it to adapt to the, the new variants, Delta, Mu, and anything else that they're picking up on or others are sequencing around the world. So, you know, this could be, again, just like we've talked about uh, RSV, influenza, and many, 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 many other viruses um, become endemic or be here. It's just a matter of what are the ways we can find to reduce the probability of, of serious disease for so many people um, as we close in on 650,000 Americans that have died from COVID-19. So it's definitely more fatal than the other viruses that we're dealing with. Normally coronaviruses and uh, other types of colds and flu and RSV and so on. So that's what I've got from that front, uh, LPRC front. Um, more going in in our uh, Safer Places Lab at the University of Florida. We're looking at some partners and uh, working on some of those partnerships, working on use cases in the field that I mentioned before. Um, so uh, just a whole lot happening across the board there. Um, working groups remain strong. We'll continue to, to work our, have those up until uh, we don't normally have them in December. Um, and look for also with uh, LPRC impact, of course, as we announced would be fully virtual um, content and platform rehearsals, dry runs uh, with the platform, uh, with the logistics, the process. We've got um, at least 20 people coming into Gainesville that are on the, uh, our committee on our annual LPRC impact planning team. They'll be in here to help us pull this off um, and so we're going to try and provide the most unique virtual uh, experience that we possibly can. Um, so we will continue to put more out on social media, on our website, and on this podcast. So we're excited about it, and we hope you all are too. So with no further ado, let me go over to Tony D'Onofrio. And Tony, if you can take it away. Thank you very much, Reed. Again, good updates on both LPRC and uh, what's happening with COVID. So let me start with some data this week in terms of what's happening on the internet every minute in 2021. So this is the latest data in terms of what we're all doing online in 2021. And this data is from the World Economic Forum and Statista. So every minute, 28,000 subscribers are watching Netflix, uh, 695,000 stories are shared on Instagram, 91 plus connections are made on LinkedIn, 69 million text messages are sent. There are 5,000 downloads of TikTok. $1.6 million is spent every minute shopping online. Nearly 198 
million emails are sent. I thought emails was, are dead, but they're not. We're almost at 200 million a minute emails going out. And then 500 hours of content that are uploaded on YouTube. That's an amount, vast amount of data that gets processed. And it reminds me again that we're, we're generating a lot more data in the last few years versus the entire history, just based on all this stuff going online and what the internet has done. Um, one of the uh, drivers of the internet is e-commerce and where is uh, e-commerce e growing the fastest? And this again is from Statista. So worldwide e-commerce will grow to 4.2 trillion by 2025, up, uh, up 47%. Asia will lead the way up uh, growing 51% to uh, 2.6 trillion. China is the number one online market. In 2020, they had retail sales online of 1.3 trillion, and they'll grow 49% to nearly 2 trillion. <coughs> That's an amazing number by 2025. Our shop, North America is actually small in comparison. North America is a $588 billion market e-commerce in 2020, and it's grown to grow 35% to uh, 795 billion by 2021. Again, to give you a comparison, two trillion versus 795 billion by, by 2025. Uh, Europe is even smaller at 460 million, but they're growing faster at 42% to uh, 656 billion by 2025. Worth noting that both North America and Europe are lagging the rest of the world in online e-commerce growth. So the global average is 47%. Again, both Europe and North America are behind that. So on the fun part, since I am Italian, one of the funny ones that came across this week, again, uh, from Statista is which country regularly eats pasta in 2021? So can you guess number one? Well, number one would be Italy. So 86% of Italians eat pasta regularly. Number two is France, 80%. Number three is UK, 72%. US is up there, actually. 62% uh, of USA folks eat pasta regularly. And number five is Germany at 61%. And let me end this week on a more serious technology note. Uh, IHL recently published their top 10 touchless trends to watch in 2021. So number one is optimizing customer journeys. And uh, so the margin point losses for retailers range anywhere from 4.2 to 8.2% for all those new services such as buy online, pick up and store or local delivery from store. So think what I just said, they actually have a margin decline in that range every time they use one of these services. So they're very expensive and retailers need to optimize to actually make money, especially if you think about grocery, which has a very low margin to begin with. Number two trend is simplified checkouts. Retailers that have self-checkout installs saw sales that were 18% higher than average for 2020. In the food, drug, and mess merchants, for the next two years, self-checkout is going to grow 178%. Consumer mobile checkout will go 300%. And contactless payments will grow 190%.
Number three touchless trend is electronic shelf labels. Public companies plan to expand their installs of electronic shelf labels by 600%. Number four is uh, pickup lockers. Customers who picked up their purchases from a pickup locker uh, or tower rated their overall customer experience 25% higher than when the pickup required human intervention. So we like to engage with machines, not with people. Number five, touchless trend is associate and manager mobile devices. Mobile devices already provided by the, the, the company or the, the store are, are already in the hands of managers for 32% of food, uh, drug, C-stores, and mass merch, 43% of general merchandise retailers, and 39% of hospitality. All that will grow to plus 50% plus adoption in the next 12 months. And that's important because those mobile devices are where we're going to send exception data so the manager has real-time data in their hands inside stores. 18% of food, drugs, C-stores, and mass merchant store associates also carry a store-provided mobile device. For GMS, general merchandise, it's an amazing 40% that carry a mobile device. And for hospitality, it's 21%. The sixth uh, uh, touchless trend is second location in store. A second location installed for micro-fulfillment of online orders are going to grow 700% over the next two years. Number seven is dark stores. Uh, to fulfill online orders only, so these are stores that really are stores, but they're actually only doing online orders, but closer to neighborhoods, they're going to grow 966% over the next two years. Number eight trend is voice picking. Retail winners, which are defined as anybody growing 15% or more the previous year, are 214 more likely to invest in voice recognition technology for order picking and or inventory. Number nine trend is optimized inventory. The problem of inventory distortion is an amazing 1.8 trillion. 81% of the problem is out of stocks, 19% is overstocks, and the 10th uh, touchless trend for 2021 is new tech architecture. But that means as retailers are, are finding different ways to configure technology and edge computing is becoming one of those critical areas. Edge computing is going to grow 533% over the next two years and microservices architecture will grow 208% over the next two years. All great technology to go play with, keep attention that opens up to new ways to steal, and also keeping track of those good and red shop, uh, green and red shoppers and test those concepts at the LPRC. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Reed. A lot of uh, great stuff covered. And um, I actually got traveled internationally. And so uh, very interesting. I was in four different countries to see how they responded to COVID. The one thing I would say is, and I know Tony, has traveled internationally as well as all of the airports, even very small, obscure airports in, in Europe had on-site COVID testing. So I thought it was really interesting. Uh, certainly very confusing confusion uh, this time traveling in Europe because a lot of the rules were changing as I was there, but um, kind of felt like you know flying around the US that we didn't have it as down pat as they did. I just thought it was interesting. Wanted to just briefly touch on some of the weather events that, you know, uh, I live in the Northeast and we had uh, 
the most rain in a hundred years, eight inches of rain in, in four and a half hours. So I was flooded and I already have received some emails that are scam emails around fraud. So just reminding people that uh, the, the malicious folks and the nefarious actors out there are immediately taking advantage. So if you see an email like that, just to double check it. The other thing is it's a good reminder, and I know we talk about the Fusion Net, to uh, look at what weather apps you can use so they can get up-to-date information. My favorite weather app is My Radar Pro, but there are a lot of different ones. And I know Reed and I have exchanged things before of getting that up-to-date information so that you can be as prepared as possible. Um, wanted to just give a quick update on the T-Mobile hack. I thought there was a really good piece in the Wall Street Journal that I thought you know made sense to talk about because we've talked about it a couple times in the past. And this was actually the Wall Street Journal conversing with the hacker, his name is um, John Bins, and he is actually an American-born uh, Turkish native that moved back to Turkey, and he is having a full conversation with the journal about how he did it. And um, in the message, he actually talks about how he found an unprotected router that gave him access to hundreds of servers, and how terrible, in his words, um, the he said the the security was awful. Uh, he said he was he he was panicked when he saw how much information uh, he had he had gotten into so quickly, um, and it's a really good read. But it really talks to kind of the prolific events that are occurring and how in some of these uh, some countries these folks are outwardly okay with identifying who they are. I I, I firmly believe that the U.S. government will attempt to extradite and go after this, but. It was interesting that when he spoke, he, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal has a bunch of quotes. He said, you know, I really want to generate noise. That was his goal. He, he actually didn't, uh, according to his words, have the goal of selling the information. But when he got the information and saw what it was, he went and sell it. He did not um, say whether or not he had actually sold any. He just said that that wasn't his original intent. But really, really interesting read and really talks very specifically to he initially targeted um, T-Mobile and then basically um, went, you know, went for a softer target. He said when he was inside and, and found this router that was vulnerable to an attack, which then gave him access to hundreds of servers. And he actually has screenshots of some of their messages um, and some of the screenshots of actually the, the T-Mobile warning messages. So. This is not really about T-Mobile. This is what I often say is that, you know, all of us commercially and personally are vulnerable to hacking events and we just have to do our best to keep our due diligence. But it's a good reminder to make sure that, you know, you, you have everything that you can patch and update to do that and make sure that if you have older equipment in your house, when I say older, five years or longer, that you make sure that default passwords are changed. Um, Switching gears a little bit, I, I talked a little bit about last, on last week's call about um, the US government meeting with tech leaders and coming up with you know, a plan and, and everybody talking about what they did best and kind of collaboratively working together like we do here at the LPRC. There was another kind of update which is related but not really related where tech, big tech industries are asking you know, to play a, a greater role in defense. Typically the military and probably the most two most uh, great examples are the GPS and the internet. The, the military really created them. Typically, the military likes to create the technology and then follow the commercial aspects here. But what the premise of this 
kind of pushes, and this dates back to 2018, but it has been aggressively bought up, is that the U.S. government needs to um, not only work collaboratively to share information, but potentially contract out to some of the big tech companies in the U.S. Um, some of the technology that's there versus taking everything in-house. And, you know, Robert Wark, who is the former U.S. Secretary of Defense, talks about in, in, in a couple of different articles, he's very often talking about this, that we're in competition with China from a technology standpoint, and uh, we're not organized to win the competition. And you know, he made the comment, we're not organized to win the competition, and if we don't correct that, we're doomed to lose. And this came up again, uh, again in a couple of weeks where this came out that there isn't, or there wasn't, I shouldn't say, there wasn't a roadmap really laid out to how to, not only the defense, but the utilities infrastructure in the US. And this kind of leads me back to the T-Mobile. If you read that uh, Wall Street Journal article, you can see the screenshots and you can, if you're a technical person, identify very quickly that some of the screenshots allude to the, the software is 20 to 25 years old because the screenshots are in green screen or mainframe. So this was a big push about, this is strictly for defense and utilities, but it really leads to all of us, so the, the push to really rapidly look at um, taking that balance of cost and protection and coming up with a narrative that makes sense to protect ourselves. And I'll leave the, turn it back over to Reed just one second. And while I was um, traveling this, this week, I actually traveled during the storm and um, I leaned over and I was talking to an, an agent who had a screen up um, and this is one of the major airlines and I'm looking at the screen and immediately what I see is that they're in a screen rebooking my flights in a mainframe. And I'm thinking to myself, one of the largest airlines in the world has software that was written probably in 1982. And what, what does that mean from a vulnerability standpoint? Um, and literally watching someone, it reminded me of when I was in school of learning, uh, you know, watching someone that I'm quite certain was written in cobalt uh, in the 80s and thinking the one of the largest airlines, what the risk is for them. Uh, and then also understanding the daunting task, both from a resource and a cost to update it. So I'm not minimizing to up the upgrade, but it just kind of brings full circle of how vulnerable we are in the US from a utilities defense and airline industry. Uh, obviously, when you think of that, you don't want people messing with planes. You don't want people messing with your utilities. You certainly don't want people messing with your defense systems. Uh, and uh, sorry for all the doom and gloom, but I'm going to turn it back over to Reed. Yeah, one more thing to think about. <laughs> so thank you so much, Tom, for that and all the information. And same to you, Tony. Um, and so again, please, lpresearch.org um, is the website. And so it'd be operations at lpresearch.org. Uh, with your questions, your comments, your suggestions. Um, we're excited about uh, LPRC Impact coming up that 5th and 6th of October. Go to the website, lpresearch.org, to register, get you and your team involved, engage with us. Um, you know, we're going to have Strategy At, and there may be more than one again this year. The Strategy At is for the VPs of Asset Protection, Loss Prevention, and their number twos. Those, in other words, they're people that are up and coming, their bench strength. Um, we've got uh, Ignite coming up. We've got uh, kickoff and so forth. So we got a, a series of really cool events going on in addition to Impact, which is the big one, the big, big one for us. Um, so let us know what you need and think. Everybody, please stay safe, have fun, and uh, stay tuned. From Gainesville, thanks so much. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast, presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.